It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Julia Maxwell, and I'm here with Mary Trump, who has a brand new book, The Reckoning, Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal, which feels very timely in this year of COVID. Um, hi, Mary. How are you doing? Hey, Zerlina. It's really good to be here with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably like most of us right now, things continue to suck. <laughs> so um, I think part of it is just not, not just being exhausted and fed up and whatever, but just seeing how things are getting worse again, because nobody has followed our lead here in New York, where we were suffering so horribly uh, at the very beginning of this thing. And, you know, Florida had more cases today than it's had since the beginning. And it's, you know, completely infuriating that nobody ever seems to learn. And I think that's historically always been the case with America. We're incapable, apparently, of looking in the mirror and making uh, truthful assessments about our history and our behaviors and stuff. And that's that's one of the many reasons we're where we are today. Yeah, I, I think about that a lot. I think about your uncle as a mirror of sorts, um, of, of some of our worst impulses. But one of the things that you said, um, you know, that Florida hasn't learned from New York in terms of the lessons of COVID. I've been thinking a lot about that this week because, you know, there was so much reporting about breakthrough cases of COVID, which is a terrible name for the, for what is actually happening to you when you get COVID after vaccination. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about the hospitals being full this summer, that's some just unvaccinated people. That's a people who have the choice to get the vaccine and are choosing not to. And it feels like, you know, that's the result that, that has to be trauma, a trauma response, because it's not logical. It's not rational. So I, I want to start there. What, how did, how does the trauma of the, the years we lived with President Trump, how is that manifesting now? in what we're seeing in people's behaviors, because I see it, <laughs> I see, I see trauma. Yeah, it, it, there's trauma everywhere. And it, and it's playing out very differently depending on whether you took this seriously and trust science, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which thankfully most of us have done since the beginning. Um, and it's playing out very differently for those people who have put their trust in leaders who consistently betray them. Um, and who have either convinced them that they need to make themselves invulnerable to this thing that can affect anybody in order to show allegiance or in order not to be labeled weak or something. Um, And then those who don't it, this this is the thing that's fascinating and that I'm having a really hard time figuring out. I, I can make sense of the people who just follow Donald's lead and just don't, don't want to be labeled a, lim- a liberal wimp or whatever. So they're not going to wear masks. They're not going to get the vaccine. It's the people who are waiting in line for hours 
to get this extraordinarily expensive treatment for COVID <laughs> instead right. of getting a free, safe, easily right. accessible for most people vaccine. Um, so what kind of trauma response is that? I, I think people are so confused. They're so they're being lied to mm. in so many ways by so many different people. Um, we have governors like DeSantis and Abbott and Nome who continue to play politics with people's lives. And I think that's part of it too. There's on the right of for, well, since the very beginning, but in, in modern times, I think we can link it to gun culture, which is something that Ruth ben Giat has done. Uh, there's this sort of devaluing of human life, yeah. even their own. Uh, and, and I guess, what do, you, what do you say about people who have been convinced over time by somebody as weak and pathetic as Donald to show up at rallies simply um, so they can feel like they're part of something right. while risking COVID. And we know that a lot of people got COVID at his rallies and, and many people died because of those rallies. It's just crazy to think about it and think about they're willing to sacrifice their own lives. I mean, I think you sort of, you know, to, to your point about understanding certain parts of the Trump base, um, that is, that, you know, to be fair, has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, but there's still like that hardcore um, base that, you know, follows him to their deaths. I mean, this is literally that. Um, and you can sort of understand it when it comes to other people. Because what he did, I think, and you've said this, you said that he, instead of being us versus COVID, he's done us versus them. Mm -hmm. Talk about how the, the abusive tendencies that President Trump had that were that are showing up now because you know he separated us back at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, before that on other issues, yeah. but in the pandemic specifically on that issue, it's like us against other people who would want to stay safe and stay alive. Yeah. I, it, it, <laughs> That to me is one of the most diabolical things he did uh, among the many diabolical things he did um, because wars, pandemics, those are typically situations in which people come together. Uh, it, it, it unites us. Um, and especially with something like COVID where we were so isolated, we were so afraid and um, you know had to be afraid of each other too. Uh, not that, you know, most of us were doing it on purpose, but we could be carrying a deadly disease. So uh, to take away from us the ability to be united and not just that, but to divide us even further um, was cruel, uh, like unspeakably cruel. Um, so the other problem, though, is you're right, his base, thankfully, is dwindling, but um, the Republican Party is still all in. Uh, and it's it's lovely that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and a couple of other people uh, decided to um, deal with the reality of January 6th and tell the truth about it, but none of them voted for the voting rights. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I honestly think that um, that's, a, that's a bigger problem because it right. allows Donald to continue to spread his his chaos and his hatred and 
what have you. And, and it's, it's something deeply rooted in him. You know, he comes from an abusive family. His father, my grandfather was a straight up sociopath and um, the ways in which weakness were defined in my family uh, were directly responsible for Donald's horrid response to and handling of COVID. Um, the bigger question is, yeah, why do people, why do people put up with it? And I think, uh, you know, part of it has to do with white privilege. Part of it has to do with the history of white supremacy in this country. Um, and the fact that, you know, people pretend that it's still not a thing, which is quite fascinating. Um, and, and part of it has to do with the fact that over the last few decades, people have been convinced to vote against their own self-interest. And the only thing they have to cling to is um, being part of something that they, that they consider um, powerful. Um, so, you know, it's, again, because of all the misinformation that's spread uh, on the right, it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult to break into that. And because the other problem is that people hate being wrong. Right. So they would rather continue to be wrong for the rest of their lives <laughs> than uh, right. be adult human beings and admit they were wrong. I mean, it's so true about the not wanting to admit they were wrong. I mean, in a lot of ways, this feels scary because Trump's not even on Twitter. Uh, you know, and you have to kind of go out looking for him now. It's not like his voice is you know, on the TV every day. I don't have to see images of him if I don't want to. In fact, there are several days will go by and maybe I don't even see a picture of Donald Trump unless I'm reading an article about, you know, Cy Vance or something, um, you know, the legal stuff, you know, the updates now. Um, but you, you've said that it would be a mistake to act like because you don't see him, he's not powerful and that he doesn't still have that influence over you know, this core group of people that stormed the Capitol violently on January 6th, you know, and that's a really dangerous thing. So ignore at your peril is what you've said. Why, why is that the case? Because, if, first of all, let me preface um, my response by saying there's nobody who wants him to disappear more than I do. I am heartily, heartily sick of him. Um, you know, so, and I have been for decades, so it, this is nothing new. Um, and it goes again back to the Republican Party and Republican leadership. Uh, they, for whatever reason, still believe that they need him. Um, and I mean, they might be right, because the one thing about Donald that I have a hard time admitting out loud, uh, but it's true, he is charismatic. And it's the kind of charisma that wouldn't appeal to you or me, but it does, it's, it's palpable and it does appeal to tens of millions of people. And there's nobody in the Republican party I can think of that has that, uh, you know, none of, certainly not Cruz, Hawley, Cotton, none of Donald's kids. Um, so because of that, they're the ones keeping him relevant. They're the ones who go to Mar-a-Lago to kiss his ring and uh, ask for his endorsements. And um, we've seen, I mean, it's not a hundred percent of the time, but he does still have an impact on um, primaries. And that's, it's just extraordinary. I mean, there, there have been um, cases where as soon as Donald endorses somebody, like the swing in their favor is just 
terrifying, actually. Yeah. So, you know, um, we we have to remember too that um, there's probably a lot going on we don't know about uh, because of how many people in power continue to tow his line and carry his water. Yeah, that's a scary thought, but it, it's likely true. One of the other things I think um, that's true is, I was reading this morning uh, that the, the Koch brothers apparently were the funding behind many of the anti-critical race theory protests that we've seen throughout the country, which is like the least shocking news ever because that happens yes. every time. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think that the Republican party right now, their resistance to like learning American history, learning our history, confront the mirror. You know, Donald Trump in a lot of ways was that mirror of our, of our ugly, the ugly side of America. Mm-hmm. Um, you've said that it, it would make them look guilty or they think it will make them look guilty. Mm-hmm. Are they guilty? Like, I mean, I, are they guilty? <laughs> Yes, they are. <laughs> um, because listen, we, you can't be res- held responsible for what happened in the past. I mean, you know, um, America was, it has been a racist country since its inception. Um, and that's not my fault. <laughs> you know, it's not your fault. It's not the Republican Party's fault. However, if we fail to recognize the ways in which that history, which by the way, it's not in the past. I mean, we're talking about my parents' generation, my generation, this stuff right. is still going on. You know, if you fail to confront the ways in which you've been impacted or you've benefited, uh, as, if you're a white person, from that history of white supremacy, sorry, um, white privilege and white supremacy, then you do have to own it because then nothing's going to change. Right. So it's, I mean, and that's sort of the, the irony here by pretending that they don't need to take responsibility because again, it's not something I didn't do it. They didn't do it, but we were shaped by it. And it's like, you know, if you're um, abused as a child and it, it makes you angry or it makes you prone to uh, outbursts of rage or whatever, you have to take responsibility right. for that, even though it's not your fault. So you don't hurt people. So you don't hurt yourself. So um, by going, the, the critical race theory, it, it makes me insane. Um, because one, it's absurd. Two, it's another way they, they politicize um, social issues. Not that a critical race theory is a social issue, but you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and three, it's another instance in which they keep getting away with it. Define mm-hmm. the term. Defi- I, I ask one of these people to define what critical race theory is. I define Marxism for me. They can't do it. And th- so they get away with it, you know, and nobody ever asked Donald to explain himself either. He knows more than the general. Oh, really? How? Like, where, right. where did you learn that stuff that right. you know so much about? So um, it's, again, it, if you perpetuate this system and deny the reality that America is a racist country, shocking, I know, then you are the problem and you are responsible and you are guilty. So how do we start to heal from this trauma? I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, Jess and I talked a lot about how 
because you know we both have experienced different types of traumas i mean i think everyone has gone through some sort of trauma in their life mm -hmm. um and for me i'm like very in tune with my like when my body is responding to trauma and so when we first um went into lockdown i was like oh i know what this is <laughs> i know what i have to do i have to i have to make a schedule and i'm going to, you know i have to wake up i have to be like eat breakfast play with the dog uh, exercise, eat a vegetable, drink some, like I have to be structured. I know what I have to do in those moments when I'm feeling that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're all feeling that, but not all of us are in touch with or in tune with what our body does, how we, you know, how that affects our behavior and how we treat people and, mm -hmm. and what to sort of do to help our bodies heal, help our minds heal. Cause it, it's going to take a while. This COVID is, a collective trauma that I feel like is going to impact generations. So yeah. where do we start? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right that it affected all of us, even those of us who think it didn't. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up. But when, when I first th started thinking about writing this book, I, it was almost entirely focused on what happens when we emerge. Um, what's that mental health crisis going to be like and, and how are people going to respond? Because, you know, there are those of us who have been traumatized before and, and know it. Like some people don't know that they've been traumatized. Some people don't understand how, how trauma affects them. But, you know, when you go in with knowledge, I, I have complex PTSD. I know what it, what it is when I'm dissociating. Imagine not having that knowledge during COVID and right. being traumatized and suddenly having these symptoms and not, okay, is this, is this PTSD? Is it depression? Is it just stress? Is right. it a physical ailment? I mean, it, you know, the confusion just complicates things even more. Um, and the other thing that, that also is uh, a complicating factor is the fact that <laughs> this shouldn't have happened. Pandemics right. happen every century. Why were we so unprepared? Um, why both times did we have the worst person in charge who could have been in, could have been in charge? Um, why, you know, there's no, there's practically no narrative about the 1918 pandemic. It's right. fascinating. It's like there are no, I, I couldn't find anything. It's as if it just was disappeared. We can't let that happen this right. time around um, because storytelling is part of healing. Unfortunately, right now we're still being traumatized. Right. So you can't heal while you're being traumatized either. My therapist told me. She told me that um, in one of our first sessions during COVID, you know, one of the Zoom or audio sessions, and she said, and I'm like, I'm trying to just process like this. I, I how do I process this? She's like, you can't. You cannot That's process right. trauma when you are you are in the middle of it. And I was like, okay, guys, okay. Well, that frees me up. <laughs> right. Like all you can do is mitigate the effects. Uh, exactly. to the extent that that's possible. And it's not possible for some people. I mean, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I, I did not have a good year in that regard. So um, knowledge though is so important. And that's why like, I, I think not that I have any control over this at all, but I, I really wish the Biden administration uh, had a cabinet position um, uh, so that would deal solely with this issue. Um, this country has always been terrible at dealing with um, 
mental illness. You know, we, we, we seem to think that mental health is a luxury and mental illness is your problem. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, now, since, since so many people are going to be affected, I, I really, really think that we need something at the federal level in terms of education and getting resources uh, to communities and schools. Um, because the other thing too is it's not just COVID. Many people are still dealing with the economic fallout. Many people are still, you know, or what are we another vote away from people getting evicted again? Um, And then of course there's this desperate political crisis that maybe not everybody is tapped into yet, but you know, they will be um, if we wake up uh, in 2022 and find uh, that, you know, things have been rigged so, so much more in the Republicans' favor that Democrats can never win the House or the Senate again. Right. That's the, that's the worst case. And that's not even the worst case scenario. That is a bad scenario that's very likely mm-hmm. possible, depending upon what they do on those two Senate bills that are being considered right now. Okay. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to get to a place where the folks on Capitol Hill realize the crisis is happening. Um, Cause I think a lot of us uh, see that pretty clearly. Okay, this has been a fascinating conversation and I always have like 55 more questions and I never, but it's just like, I, you know, I, I, I'm really into figuring things out and COVID is like the ultimate, like nobody's lived through this. So we have to figure out, yeah. <laughs> figure it all out um, in every single aspect. Mary Trump, The Reckoning, Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal is your new book. Thank you so much for being Thank here you. today. This was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.